0: Welcome back to our second session today, which will deal with harnessing the digital transformation of health promotion and disease prevention. Now, already in the previous session, uh, uh, session we had a couple of interesting discussions about, about uh, the digital transformation. I mean, Mr. Seika, for example, emphasized that it's more the transformation that is important and less so the digital aspect is certainly also important but what is more important is is certainly the uh, the transformation uh, aspect and what we see in many many uh, different uh, aspects of life a huge movement towards digitalization for example I just read in a in a report that uh, more than 300,000 apps are available which deal with healthcare issues 300,000 more than you know, I mean how can such such a large number of uh, mobile applications be, be developed and it's really really amazing and it also poses i mean a lot of certain opportunities and uh, and a lot of lot of lot of uh, challenges now, certain among the opportunities, and certain all speakers will speak about those issues. I mean, they can greatly help—not just apps, but also all kinds of other equipment, which are which are digital and can, can help monitor uh, health, can <clears throat> lead to better uh, better health outcomes. But also a number of, of challenges. For example, one issue is inequality. It was already mentioned in the previous session that there are rather significant health inequalities, and. Also a possible issue with, with all of these digital applications is that those who are more digitally literate can use these applications and these are typically people who are better qualified, um, uh, better educated and anyway have a better health profiles so they might improve further but uh, those who have much less literate in, in digital issues uh, might find it more difficult to use such, such digital tools uh, another, another major issue, in my view, is, is data privacy, uh, data ownership, and control. I mean, all of these apps are sending data to, I mean, whatever third parties, and many times we are simply not aware of where the where the data is actually going to and for what purpose the uh, the data is using. Another important issue is quality. I mean, I mentioned there are just. 300,000 mobile apps now. How how can we be sure that that these are all in good quality and, and give you good good advice and good recommendations? I mean, as far as in some countries they have some uh, frameworks in place to to assess uh, these um, these digital uh, solutions, but but certainly, I mean, just a sheer number of, of, of them makes it makes it very 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 difficult. So. I think we have a great panel to discuss these and many many other other uh, different different issues. Let me just briefly introduce them and then then ask them to, to intervene. Um, uh, Stefania Bocchia, if, if I hope you pronounce Boccia, Boccia, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who is a full professor of of hygiene, uh, preventive medicine, and public health <clears throat> at the Catholic University of the Sacred Heart in in Rome. And she also has many, many other uh, positions, including she's the president of the Public Health Epidemiology Section of the European Public Health Association, EUPHA. Uh, and I also read in, in, your, in your bio that you, uh, you have more than almost 5,000 citations. Which I'm also—I uh, mean—I try to do academic research. I mean, it's a very impressive, impressive number. So, uh, Stefani is in the publishing a lot and also very influential in uh, uh, in her in her research and publications. Uh, then we have um, Martin Doražil, who is the deputy head uh, of unit at DG Center of the of the Commission. And in alphabetical order, we have Michael Stuberin, who is the director of Digital Health at Medtech Europe. So we have we have let's see an official. We have an academic and one from the uh, uh, the third speaker from the from the industry, which I think is a very very great setup for for discussion. So we thought we would start with uh, with Martin to to start with um, with let's say uh, uh, an official, then the academic, and then the industry view. So the floor
1: is yours. Uh, good morning, everybody, and thank you for the, for the introduction. So, my name is Martin Dorazel, and I'm representing here the European Commission. I'm a deputy head of unit responsible for European reference networks and uh, digital health. And uh, for my introductory remarks, I prepared a few slides just to uh, give you an overview of uh, the uh, recent activities um, uh, at, at the European level in the area of digital health. And I will also a little bit uh, touch upon, I mean, the, f- the future and uh, the, the challenges and opportunities that are uh, uh, ahead of us. Um, So uh, if I look back a little bit at uh, at the recent developments at the European level in 2018, uh, the Commission adopted a communication on digital transformation of health and care, which um, sets out the the main uh, lines of of, of affections uh, for us for for the years uh, to come. And uh, the, the whole strategy uh, outlining that communication was um, structured along three main uh, main strands. Uh, the first one is, is to give citizens better access to their health data uh, anywhere in, in the European Union. The second strand concerned uh, connecting and sharing and pooling of health data for research, faster diagnosis, and better health outcomes. And the, the, the third. Uh, pillar or the third strand concerns uh better use of digital services for citizen uh, empowerment and person-centered care uh with regard to the to the first area of work um, the, the 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 communication uh, set out a, a, a number of of, of, of initiatives and and, and and plans and we are already making making progress on on many of them. So, um, uh, for example, we set up uh, a a platform for uh, electronic exchanges of uh, uh, electronic patient summaries and uh, e-prescriptions in cross border settings. So, uh, for patients who um, are uh, receiving uh, healthcare in another member state, this allows uh healthcare professionals to have access to their uh patient uh summary so at this stage it's a not full uh electronic health record but it's uh it's a it's a first step so they 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 uh, get access to their uh patient summary and uh also uh the system uh allows for um, uh dispensing of of uh, medicinal products on the basis of electronic prescription in another member state uh, and there is a, f- a supporting uh, infrastructure already uh, in place. Uh, member states are governing the system via the so-called uh, e-health uh, network, which is a, a voluntary network of uh, of, the, of the member states uh, uh, discussing and uh, taking measures on uh, on in health. Uh, we are also. Um, Uh, working on increased interoperability um, of electronic health records. So uh, last year in 2019 the Commission adopted a recommendation on uh, electronic health record exchange format um, we also last year adopted uh, a new uh, Commission implementing decision on e-health network, which is the, the voluntary structure that I just described, uh, that improves uh, the, the, the governance of the network and also addresses certain important uh, data uh, protection issues uh, related um, uh, to the cross-border exchanges of uh, uh, patients' uh, data and we are also providing support to the to the member states collaboration because uh, member states are primarily responsible for organization and financing of healthcare so for example we are f- uh, funding a joint action of the, of the member states um, in the area of e health uh, uh, this slide just just very um, briefly provides the, the the fundamentals of the uh, e health digital service infrastructure which is the infrastructure for exchanges of patient summaries and in- e-prescriptions at this point in time, but uh, in in the future uh, the intention is to extend it to to further use cases such as exchanges of um, uh, laboratory results, uh, medical images and uh, hospital discharge uh, reports. Uh, I mean on this, this slide uh, um, uh, in a k- kind of a graphic uh, form um, I tried to explain how the whole system works basically it's it's based on on the national contact points uh, that are connected via this uh, electronic uh, uh, sorry the health uh, digital service uh, infrastructure for for exchanges of patient data with regard to the second strand of of, of work um, uh, it, is, it is crucial that uh, we enable better uh, pooling of, of data uh, n- uh, f- not only for the, the, the provision of healthcare, but also for, for the purposes of health research, uh, for uh, prevention, uh, improving personalised healthcare. Uh, so, uh, so I'd like to mention in this context two um, uh, specific examples. Uh, One is the 1 million genome uh, um, initiative um, uh, based on a declaration signed by uh, a large number of the member states in 2018 uh, and uh, today we have 21 member states plus Norway uh, that are uh, taking part in this initiative um, with the objective to uh, uh, pool together uh, the available uh, genomic uh, Uh, data in a a, uh, way that this information and this data would be accessible uh, uh, across the European Union. Uh, The other uh, specific example I would like to mention are the uh, European reference networks for patients with um, rare diseases or uh, complex uh, low prevalence diseases uh, where um, we are uh, bringing together um, experts uh, and expert centers um, dealing with those uh, specific diseases, and this is a, a very nice example where uh, the European cooperation can bring significant uh, added value directly uh, to patients. Uh, and uh, we allow these uh, these networks of of healthcare providers and specialized centers uh, to uh, convene virtual panels um, uh, and virtual consultations. So that the underlying um, uh, the the underlying uh, principle is that uh, we should avoid as much as possible. Uh, f- um, Patients traveling around Europe, but rather the, the knowledge and expertise uh, should should move, uh, ideally by using the, uh, the new technologies. So currently, we have 24 uh, networks for um, uh, different uh, different rare conditions. Um, these networks are bringing together more than 300 hospitals uh, and more than 900 uh, healthcare units and um, currently there is uh, an ongoing um, call uh, for new members to join these existing networks and we are processing uh, a large number of uh, applications that that, uh, we received and these networks, um, uh, they uh, do not uh, only improve patients access to uh, to the healthcare they need but they should be also focal points for for research on, on uh, rare diseases uh, for development of clinical guidelines and, and so on uh, and the the, uh, the last important trend of, of, of activities is, is the strengthening citizen empowerment and person-centered care through uh, digital t- uh, tools we are supporting um, um, uh, better uptake of um, and deployment of digital uh, solutions uh, in the area of healthcare. And uh, uh, there is a number of financial uh, instruments uh, uh, available or under negotiation within the framework of the new multi annual financial framework, such as the Digital Europe Programme, Horizon Europe, European Social Fund, uh, and the European. Um, Regional development fund that that provide uh, uh, opportunities and possibilities for funding for uh, projects in the in the area of digital health. I should also mention that uh, last year the eHealth Network in, uh, adopted investment uh, guidelines. Uh, that also s- uh, set out the important principles for uh, that are relevant for for health So this is this is this is the work that uh, we have been doing until until now, and or the, the, the projects that are in the in the pipeline, and they are ongoing. Um, but there is also uh, another uh, relatively new era of, of work uh, which um, uh, now becomes uh, more prominent in the, in the work of the commission. You probably uh, know that uh, in the mission letter to uh, the Commissioner Kiryakides, who is responsible for health, a specific um, task was uh, mentioned by by the President von der Leyen. And this is the work on, on the creation of uh, the European health data space to promote health data exchanges, uh, support research uh, on new preventive strategies as well. Treatments, medicines, medical devices, and outcomes. And this is the quote from from, from the mission letter. Uh, because um, uh, health uh, data are, are very important for uh, for the provision of, of healthcare, but they also uh, offer a huge potential for uh, for health research uh, and um, health policy making, and also development of, of new uh, health technologies and and products. Uh, but currently, uh, this potential is not sufficiently used, and there are also a number of of of, of challenges and and, and 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 potential obstacles that that need to 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 be addressed before this potential can be. Can be fully exploited. Uh, on, on this slide, I put some of the some of the issues or, or, or challenges in a random random order. So it's not that one uh, would be more important than the other. But if you look at it, I mean, currently, uh, for example, researchers may uh, or have uh, difficulties to access uh, the health data they need, um, and there are also important data protection uh, implications that were brought. Um, by uh, by the new uh, GDPR uh, and other uh, regulatory gaps and, and barriers preventing a smooth um, provision of digital healthcare. There are issues linked to the interoperability and quality of data. Uh, so data from different different sources are not able to talk to each other. Uh, there, there are certainly, I mean, big challenges in terms of uh, appropriate infrastructure being um, put in place. Uh, issues related to cyber security and security of, of data because we are talking about uh, sensitive uh, personal data. Even the GDPR recognizes that health data are a specific category of sensitive data. Um, artificial uh, intelligence uh, is more and more being being deployed, but uh, this brings also uh, ethical issues and questions related to the, to the safety and, and liability and one important element uh, that should be should be um, emphasized is is uh, the need to avoid uh, new uh, health inequalities so uh, we should not uh, uh, by uh, by promoting i mean the digital solution so we should be very careful that we do not create new divides between between regions uh, and or between different different population groups, uh, for example, based on on their age and, in particular, on their on their um, uh, health literacy and digital literacy. Uh, other issues that I can just mention are not not on the screen are also uh, digital skills of uh, healthcare professionals. That's that's also another area where, which is very important to be to be addressed. So at this stage. Um, uh, we are conscious of, of, of all these uh, all, all, all these challenges but also opportunities and we are uh, collecting input uh, from uh, all the different stakeholders uh, on uh, the best way uh, forward we are also conducting different different studies uh, and expert uh, workshops and events uh, trying to map the landscape in the member states and, and, and collecting the information of what already exists so that we um, in the future, can uh, can work further on these issues, and in particular, uh, so far in the discussions, I mean, what we identified is is, is the need to, to work uh, on on the appropriate um, governance uh, structure for for the uh, access to the uh, health data, especially uh, for the secondary use. Uh, we also need to further consider the appropriate infrastructure that needs to be. Possibly put in place or uh, or upgraded, and also the issues of interoperability um, need to be need to be addressed. So I will uh, I will stop my introduction uh, here. Uh, and uh, at, the, at the end of my introductory remarks, I would just uh, like to emphasize the sentence that is at the bottom of the of the screen that we need the active uh, engagement of all all parties in in um, this endeavor. And uh, we are seeking for a, a triple win solution that would benefit people and patients, but also health systems and also the, the health industry. Okay. Thank you.
0: Thanks. <clears throat> Thank you, thank you very much, Martin, for this uh, very nice overview of the various uh, uh, different aspects of the, of the Commission promotion for for digital health. Let me just have one quick follow-up question, <coughs> namely on uh, <clears throat> on how do you see the progress that governments, member state governments, are are making? For example, you mentioned the the setup of this e-health national contact points to which. National service providers and a lot of data would be going in, then all of these national networks would be connected via European networks and that would provide a lot of data and, 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 and uh, allow um, to I mean, better diagnosis and, and research. So, how do we see the progress of, of, of different member states with that and uh, why some countries are doing better than others?
1: Yeah, um, thank you for the question. Uh, uh, the short answer is it's 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 quite diverse uh, so so this situation differs a member state by by member state uh, there are member states that are kind of leading the the, the way and uh, they are more advanced than than, than the others that's that's, that's for sure as I mentioned, we uh, we bring the member states together in the eHealth network, then we have all the member states uh, represented. Uh, but the, the level of, of readiness, uh, for example, to join uh, the exchanges of, of patient summaries and prescriptions is, is, is different in the member states and also uh, in terms, for example, of... Uh, uh the initiatives and and uh, actions taken at the nation level for the, uh, for the uh for the access to health data for for the secondary use is also, also different uh with regard to the e-health network and the exchanges of patient summaries and uh, e-prescriptions uh, however um uh we hope that by uh 2020 we will have at least uh 22 member states uh being part of of, of these exchanges so uh they uh, they are in 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 the process of of, 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 of uh, joining, uh, but uh, the other the uh, the other aspects are are diverse. And as I said, currently we are um, collecting the information uh, from from the member states and uh, mapping the situation. And, and I will be definitely. Um, better place to, to provide more comprehensive answer, uh, possibly later this year after we've finalised we've this, this mapping mapping exercise. Thank you. We look
0: forward to receive that report. Now, Stefania, the floor is yours.
2: Thank you. Uh, I prepared some slides, I don't know if they're coming, okay, uh, so generally speaking, I I think that we all agree that digital transformation represents one of the key drivers of innovation that really brings the potential uh, for our healthcare systems to be more effective, equitable, accessible, resilient, and comprehensive. Uh, this has been acknowledged specifically by this project, also that uh, is, just, is just about to end. It's the To Reach Transfer Innovation to Health Systems, that was also participated by the European Observatory, that was uh, also publishing very recently a strategic uh, research agenda on health system research, where uh, key pillar was in fact devoted to digital um, transformation. However, when we talk about digital transformation in health, I believe that we talk uh, also about a cultural and an organizational process. And so things are much more complex because we do not talk also about technologies and also makes more complex all the kind of evaluation that can be done in this sense to understand what is a really value-based intervention from the digital transformation side. Uh, so today I was asked to give an advice on the impact of digital transformation health promotion and uh, disease prevention. So, uh, in doing so, I take advantage of the European Public Health uh, Association uh, conceptual framework that has been published uh, quite recently on the potential added value of digitalization for public health. Actually, for those who are not aware, EUFA is a a very important organization, brings together uh, several uh, institutions working in public health across Europe and involves uh, around 20,000 public health professional experts across Europe. And uh, very recently, as I said, they published this conceptual framework, and uh, they did envisage that uh, within the digital health technologies that were likely to have a broad impact on risk prediction, prevention, and health promotion are mobile health technologies and genomics. I have to say that this uh, is something that should not surprise at least those who are already engaged, uh, as me, in uh, public health genomics, because uh, as you can read from the other uh, uh, picture on the, on the on the right side, this is, a, it cannot be read unfortunately, but this is a, um, a picture taken from a report of the Public Health Genomic Foundation, which is a think tank based in Cambridge, where they mm, represented, mm, in this picture, uh, how strong is the connection between the red Side digital, um, I mean technologies, mobile health technologies, but also the genomics one reported in purple, but also the other technologies, robotic, artificial intelligence, and the Internet of Things stuff reported in the, in, the, in, the, in the in the in the orange color. All these things are so strongly interconnected because they, in principle, bring the potential to make a very precise intervention, not only for the curative setting but also for the preventive side. So if you focus at least for the first part, uh, mobile health intervention, so i try to be brief, but I cannot avoid to tell you that the expert panel on effective ways of investing in health just released this report uh, for the commission Uh, they were asked inter alia to also assess the impact of digital transformation of health services and they included in their large report uh, this umbrella review which is a very large review of reviews and among these reviews those that were reporting uh, on a positive actual impact uh, of mobile technologies in health prevention were um, uh, addressing smoking abstinence rate using, a, I mean, a, a mobile phone cessation program. And this is definitely in line with the companion report that reports the same positive trends of positive impact in in behavior control with such kind of mobile health technology. So I have to say that beyond that point, however, evidence for efficacy in health promotion are quite limited. So at least the expert panel pushed to gather more high-quality evidences, also uh, long-term studies, uh, also coming from low-income countries that are overall very low underrepresented. So this, again, issues of inequalities. When it comes to the efficiency of such uh, mobile health interventions, the uh, expert panel reported this uh, uh, primary review that included some studies that overall are few, but uh, the trend is Again, positive, which means that uh, the few studies performed so far report quite positive cost-effective uh, value and also some cost-saving uh, evidence in some situations. So, again, we, I have to say that I feel quite positive in this uh, um, position, but we have to expect more more evidence accumulating to give, I mean, a, a strong a strong voice and advocacy in this sense. Uh, when we move to the genomic technologies, I have to say that. Uh, I am the first one to acknowledge that there was a lot of overhype among genomics and the impact, at least in the field of prevention, that has been only partly fulfilled so far. And also as a public health profession, I have to admit that um, this is something that uh, is... uh, difficult to understand for some public health professions because we talk also always about community. You know, We don't talk about individuals. So if you start thinking about genomics, then public health professionals say, well, they feel very skeptic because they say, well, I don't care about individuals. I care about community. But we cannot avoid to think about profiling our community in order to provide more targeted interventions, also in the pre- prevention setting. At least this was a, this was this is what I believe. In fact, in this report, you can read on the right side, I did contribute uh, many years ago, but this is something that we now today we discuss about the fact that genomics is one of the components of uh, an innovative approach that together with data coming from self-monitoring quantification from comprehensive electronic records, contribute To stratify our population to have more additional information which are not that special, I mean respect to other lifestyles or other behaviors that population have, of course we have some sensitive issues, I do not uh, regret about this. So the point I want to raise now is to what extent we can say that uh, genomics have contributed to prevention and to health promotion. I I, I, I want to show you a couple of uh, examples. Um, polygenic risk score. This is uh, something that uh, in the past few uh, years we really heard a lot about this. And there is a lot of pressure also about the industry because a lot of studies have been accumulating that really shows quite strongly that uh, this score, that are very easily calculated by characterizing some single nucleotide polymorphism associated in genome wide association studies with chronic disease, they give a stronger prediction power to develop chronic disease since birth. So the question is to what extent we can use this information to provide more effective prevention. I don't have an answer yet today, but some evidences are accumulating, and we should pay a lot of attention, I guess, in this sense, because at least in the United States, citizens ask about that. We don't have that situation yet in Europe, but it's very about to come. This example, I don't want to go too much in details, very scientific uh, paper, but uh, in this example, it's about very large cohorts, 20,000 subjects each in the three different cohorts of healthy subjects. Uh, coronary events have been already traced and the blood samples have been stored and they've been now genotyped for a risk score validated that gives information on the coronary heart events risk in the future. So what the authors did is they tested whether um, engaging in certain lifestyle uh, favorable lifestyle habits uh, modify the inherited risk of coronary heart events. And they were able to see that uh, in the last uh, <clears throat> chart on the right, in the high genetic risk group, high risk of coronary events, there was the highest impact of favorable lifestyle that were able to halve the risk of coronary events. Of course, this is a retrospective done study, so people were not aware of that. But can we use this kind of information to trigger more healthy lifestyle behavior by providing people information on their... Uh, genetic background. We don't have an answer yet, as I said, because there are research now ongoing that are trying to combine this information with the use of mobile technologies to see whether people can really start engaging more healthy lifestyle by combining this piece of information with others. Let's see what happens in the next few years. Another example which I guess is interesting because it always deals with prevention setting. People with high cholesterol level with no coronary events are suggested. After a certain level of cholesterol, to take statins, okay, to avoid any coronary events. Some studies that were able to genotype uh, for polygenic risk score for coronary events people were able to demonstrate that the statin therapy were incredibly effective among those at higher risk of genetically, I mean, inherited risk of coronary events. So it is possible to think in the future to better motivate people to being also adherent to the therapy by telling them. That they are at high risk and they, they really benefit a lot from the therapy. I don't know, it's just, you know, a guess. And lastly, mammography. We know that today we do mammography, which is secondary prevention, the screening program in the same way we did uh, 30 years ago when we started, at least in Italy, 20 years ago we started in Europe. Is it possible to think to advance the way? This is something that has been a lot of discussion across Europe, uh, so very soon probably this will change because uh, some polygenic score seems to come for the same risk at 20 years of a woman that has at 50 years. So uh, me myself, I was coordinating in the past few years uh, this Marie Curie project, and uh, we tried to summarize uh, in a... Some papers, then in a report directed to policymakers, which are recommendations that everybody should keep in mind when try, when thinking about incorporating all this personalised medicine innovation in the preventive setting in relation with chronic disease, because we really need, need evidence. I mean, making uh, whatever prediction of risk of disease like Alzheimer, uh, do not have something to do to prevent it. It's, it can be very worrying. okay? So we should really pay attention about that. So evidences of clinical utility also, not of clinical validity or analytical validity only, and also the ethical and other issues. So conclusions, I try to summarize uh, what are, according to my view, the key drivers and requisites to harness digital tools for personalised health care, and I think that, the, I mean, uh, generally speaking, again, scientific innovations offer really amazing opportunities. And public health professionals have really a special role, because they really have to ground their advocacy towards policymakers uh, on uh, very uh, strong, solid, scientific uh, evidences and analysis. So thank you for the attention. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Stefania, for this very interesting presentation with a, with a number of concrete examples. I just have a, s- a simple question because you also, in the conclusion, said that citizen's awareness is a, is a crucial issue. I mean, if all this research that you do and, and many other people do and, and in your network find indeed that you can identify certain groups or even certain peoples who have, let's say, a higher risk of a certain disease, but how can, this, how can you convince those people to go, go to a test, go to an examination, to, to check whether indeed that risk is, is likely to materialize.
2: Yeah, It's a difficult question and I have no final answer on that. First of all, there are huge inequality in access to this kind of test, okay, because they have some cost. Uh, so there are a lot of reimbursement issues behind. So let's assume that poor people can access. If they can access uh, then we don't know whether this can trigger changes in behaviors because especially, I mean, because I mean, regardless of the inequalities, but generally speaking, people, at least in some European countries, have a very low poor health literacy in Italy. It's one of the lowest in Europe. So I'm struggling myself to understand to what extent this citizen can understand what I say because even physicians sometimes do not understand. So when it comes to citizens, they do not understand what, is meaning sometimes of danger given by alcohol how they can understand the, the, the genetic so it's very difficult and some trials uh, randomized trials uh, attempted to understand if people uh, across all the socioeconomic status change behaviors after they give this information they do it in the first month they lose it in long term this is the very first results but I hope that maybe digital health can help. There are a couple of projects, European ongoing, try to combine these informations. Maybe, you know, giving more pressure, but again, issues of privacy are there, to people, you know, to see, okay, you're making progress. Mm? So they feel more motivated to go ahead once they have information on the genomic. But there is not magic, you know, solutions, also because people have to be convinced themselves that they are a co-producer of their health. It's not like they are passive. But this is, again, something that maybe rich people understand. This is what the reports say, people, poor people have a lot of troubles on that. So we should really be able to, uh, to, to reach everybody.
0: Many thanks. Now let's see what the industry what would say about that. <laughs> industry representatives. The floor is yours. <laughs>
3: it's my
4: turn okay let's see whether okay very good very good um uh, uh before before i start um all of my slides, at least, I think, will be hopefully made available to you. So if you're, and I hope there's a plan to actually share these slides with everybody. Um, so don't don't worry about taking pictures. And if you give me a business card afterwards, I'll mail you my slides. So medtech Europe is the trade association in Europe for the medical technology industry. Um, uh, we're including diagnostics, medical devices, digital health. We have about um, 130 multinational corporations as members and have also national associations so, we very often uh, claim to represent the medtech industry as a whole. Um, I want to focus on digital health um, and the opportunities. This morning, um, and before I show my slide, maybe it's take a step back. Um, uh, Martin Seychelles said this morning that the key about digital transformation is not the digital, it's the transformation. And the, um, the real new thing that digital offers is that it makes information Fungible. What does that mean? It means that um, Martin also cited the poor healthcare professionals who now are reduced to the role of data entry uh, specialists. Um, but what the real key is is that it makes information fungible. So at, at the at the uh, and it makes it reproducible. It makes it shareable. So the information that these people uh, type into their records can be shared. It loses. It 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 unties the healthcare from the hospital or the doctor's office. Everybody can access this information in theory. The patient can access this information. A patient can get empowered. They now no longer have to go to the doctors or the hospital to get this piece, to get information about their health care. They can access it in theory um, on their smartphone everywhere else. You can remotely monitor. You can empower patients to monitor themselves. You can do something like the M-Health, the smoking cessation program on, on M-Health because you, you give people... Information at their fingertips, and that of course creates uh, a, a powerful um, driver for change, because suddenly patients are empowered. They they, they can go, they can Google health information, um, and it of course creates fissures in terms of the culture of healthcare, which used to be that the healthcare that the doctor knows everything and you know nothing, um, and. That creates um, that creates powerful pressures, but it also creates enormous opportunities, um, which I'm going to go through really quickly. Um, partly, um, and um, and I think the um, state of the healthcare report also cites the the potential of wearables. Um, we now have these wearables. I have a Fitbit. Um, uh, we can even do ingestibles and and portable devices. They can send data to um, the healthcare professionals, they can send data to um, to your loved ones. A, a person, a young person, teenager with diabetes can actually have their parents, can, can en- en- enlist their parents in terms of monitoring their health um, we all will at some point have to take care of our parents. We all may become the uh, grandparents who need to be monitored remotely. Now we no longer have to take these people into, into into supervised care, they can stay remotely, they can stay independent longer at their houses, at their home and be rem- uh, monitored remotely, provided that we get this data to be shared in an interoperable format and I talk about this in a minute. Um, the other, um, the other piece, um, and I started touching on this already, the remote, uh, the remote aspect of this is you now no longer have to go to the doctor. A person, again, maybe citing the person with diabetes, he used to have to go to, doc- to the doctor like every quarter or so or more often to share their data, to, to, to have their, their sugar levels controlled. Um, he now can just um, he or she can now just send in their data, and maybe at some point this all can be taken care of an algorithm that relieves a lot of endocrinologists and, and and diabetes specialists of their of their of the burden of the of the of the of the pressure on their on their time, and they can really focus on those problem cases where their their intervention is most needed. Um, telehealth, maybe one, one other piece, we can now deliver healthcare remotely. Um, and that creates um, uh, particularly incentives for rural regions that, that, that have, an, have an issue with, with healthcare access. We have, and I think you cited some of this, uh, particularly with your reference to genomics, we have the power to now analyze all of this data um, and actually have, um, have medical devices powered by, by artificial intelligence to, um, in some cases, even uh, assist and in some future maybe even replace a doctor um, uh, that needs no, no longer to be taken care of because this can be taken care of by an algorithm. Um, and finally, data sharing creates incentives for the healthcare systems to automate, to have more intelligence. It creates, um, you know, it, I sometimes liken it to the power of supply chain management. You now have have more overview of where the patient is at a given time. You can um, you can um, relieve um, uh, pressures on your hospitals. You can you can get patients through your healthcare, um, your through your hospital a whole lot faster. Um, so in some digital has the power to, the potential to make healthcare better, safer and more efficient, and it of course also leads to, and that's something that we do not always capture in our many reports, it also improves the quality of life, because we are very often are focusing only on the on the, on the, the healthcare outcomes, but being able to stay longer at home, being remotely monitored, that is a tangible benefit, in, in, improves the welfare of, of, of European citizens. Um... For that, however, infrastructure and investment are needed. I did take a very close look at the companion report, and I think it's very good, but I find that the notion of digitalization isn't really captured uh, in it. I think that it makes references to wearables, to apps, um, but um, what we really need to create uh, is is an infrastructure that allows for this kind of data sharing. Um, And I I wanted to, uh, make a pitch here for a piece of work that a, um, a German think tank did about a year ago, um, the Bertelsmann Foundation, on behalf of, um, uh, uh, on, yeah, the Bertelsmann Foundation commissioned and, and some very good uh, consultants did to analyze the digital health um, systems in in in, uh, in in detail. So they looked at at 16 different countries. I picked out some of them um, because they also looked at Canada and Israel, and I wanted to give you an idea of what kind of infrastructure is actually needed. Um, Those of you who were here before the break know that I asked about Estonia because Estonia comes in at almost the very top in terms of the e-health infrastructure because they created a lot of the institutional, legal, and technical uh, requirements that are needed. What what is needed for this? You need a unique patient identifier. Some countries do not yet have a unique patient identifier. If I don't know that Stefania is Stefania um, and because there are, there are sometimes more people, Stefanias than, than, than I can capture, then um, I have an issue. So I need to identify that person uniquely. We need to have the legal frameworks in place, <coughs> a data protection regime. We need to have legal certainty. We need to have standards and, 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 uh, and specifications for how we want to process the data. We want um, uh, we also then uh, want probably an electronic health record where we keep this data, um, uh, where we where we store this data for a citizen-based healthcare record, not the type of thing that you go that you get in when you go into a hospital. They will make a medical record, but that that hospital record is not shared with with other people. It's not the patient record. Martin made references to how we exchange electronic health records across borders, but the sad truth is is that probably only eight or nine or 10 or so countries have that kind of EHR to begin with. Um, finally, more advanced services like e-prescription and, and telehealth services, uh, many countries are lagging behind. These 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 numbers are now getting almost two years old. We would like to see more of that type of assessment. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be the state of, of health um, uh, framework, but Fund some 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 uh, some decent some smart consultants to do this on a regular basis. That's something that we would like to see because if you if you measure it, then people will improve. I think that's what I what I very much agree with in in, in the conversation this morning. If you measure it, if you give, feed it back to policymakers, then they will act on this. My my final slide. Um, so we as MedTech Europe see these tight ty- these pieces here as the as the key barriers for the digital transformation. Um, you've already mentioned culture, skills, and trust. I think those are, those are some key elements. Um, we also want to, um, and this is, you know, we're an industry, so we always want to have a balanced regulatory environment. Let me just maybe step back here and say, The METEC industry is a very regulated environment and we like that. So we're not the type of people, you know, American Republicans or so, who don't want government to do anything. We like regulation. It needs to be stable. It should be consistent. Um, And uh, what we see, for example, in privacy, we like the GDPR. We comply with the GDPR. We would love to see a whole lot more consistency across borders, uh, across Europe. Because if you have, if you are a small startup and if you if you want to sell your app in in, in twenty seven different countries, it would make it, uh, it, you don't want to comply with twenty seven different gdpr regimes. That's the key point. For us, the most important pieces of course and those are pieces that are that are acti- that are voiced very rarely by other actors. that's why we're making this so uh, consistently is interoperability. We need uh, more interoperable everybody decries the lack of interoperability but we see the key to do ask here um, is, is is for the commission and for the for the member states. Yes, we have the electronic health record exchange format that Martin mentioned last year. I think we need more of that and we need more teeth put into this. If you want an ale- a European health data space, you better get going also mandating and regulating and telling people what kind of data formats you want to have the information captured before you start um, you know, making them conform in a European health data space. That, needs, that is a key priority. But, uh, but, but maybe, perhaps, because it's money, it's the most important piece. We need more more consistency on financing reimbursement. Martin said it this morning. Um, uh, the, we need more better um, cooperation to define the criteria how we reimburse uh, uh, um, digital health um, uh, digital health applications, digital health technologies. We recognise that we have 27 member states and that healthcare. And healthcare financing is a national responsibility, but being able to see more uh, more consistency in terms of evaluating evaluation and, and assessing health um, these digital health technologies would be something that we would love to see more of. Um, and with that, um, thank you. And I hope this was useful. <clears throat>
0: Excellent, thank you very much. <clears throat> I, I will open the floor immediately, but I can't resist. Uh, asking you a question and <clears throat> and then Martin to respond because if I understood you well you said many nice words about the companion report but you also said a major critic and it's always good if, if there is some disagreements between between panelists namely you said that the notion of digitalization doesn't really be captured by the report. Mm-hmm. So would like to, you know, ask you to a bit, little bit, discuss of this issue. So can you, little bit, explain a bit further what what you mean by that? And and perhaps Martin can respond uh, if he agrees. Probably he will disagree. But uh, Justin,
4: uh, very happy. And and um, and let me first tell you that I think the, the the state of of health report does some valuable and some really good work. Um, very often digitization it's observed that digitization moves so rapidly um, that you really can't rely on kind of like the traditional notions of, of intelligence. I made a point here that this piece of work here is already one year old. I think in the last year, in that year alone in these two years um, for example the Austrians already um, uh, uh, started um, putting in their their um, put it as launched their electronic health record, the Elgar system. The Germans just at the beginning of this year, um uh, started the, the the digital um healthcare reimbursement process so anything that you do with a 2 year cycle may already be old at the end of that 2 year cycle um and in that in that uh and and for that so so, so maybe perhaps just stepping back I saw in the companion report, for example, a, as a and perhaps a proxy of digital transformation, um, how many people actually access information online. Um, and I think that from, from, for us, for me, is not necessarily a good indicator of 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 the digital healthcare transformation the type of the type of criteria that i saw applied in this report here you know the infrastructure putting the infrastructure in place having a vision and a strategy having stakeholder input having also a solid social and, and political conversation about health data and under which circumstances it could be shared. Those are all elements that I didn't see capture, but they are critical for for having a, a, a digital health infrastructure in place. And I'm consciously not just talking about technical or legal um, uh, uh, infrastructures i'm also talking about the cultural and social understanding i mean um the the german um, i personally from germany and i uh, follow that debate very very act um, very uh, with great attention um, the germans are always uh, i mean uh, they don't haven't yet had a solid good agreement on on data sharing for example and every time um, there is another report about uh, a data leak or so, uh, it, it immediately uh, gets gets front and center attention. That kind of work of getting all stakeholders to agree what to share and what not to share is, uh, is, is critical um, to get a sustainable digital health infrastructure in place. Um, and um, so if the State of Union as a State of Health report could take some of these elements on would be great but i'm i'm almost inclined to say it would probably require a separate piece of work building perhaps on what's already been done
0: thank you would you like to respond martin
1: I can respond but uh we are not necessarily in, in disagreement I think uh because uh this is a very dynamic uh dynamic field and uh as michael said I mean uh, the information of today will be will be updated very very soon so uh I I agree that a certain kind of benchmarking um, uh among the member states may uh provide the the the, the impetus for 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 them to speed up uh, speed up the work. I mean, for the companion report, there, there was a dedicated chapter on, on, on digital health. Whether more could have been included or not, I mean, that's that's uh, for for debate. But uh, I I I agree with the general point that uh, there there is a, there is a need to to, to to monitor the progress in the member states. And as I said, uh, we are currently also engaging in uh, in in the studies uh, at this stage, uh, focusing primarily on 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 the regulatory or legal frameworks that are in place in, in, in the member states we are mapping basically the, um, uh, the 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 landscape in in the member states. Uh, but we will be also touching uh, upon the issues of, of of the necessary infrastructure that exists in the member states, or that would be uh, that would be needed. What are the plans of the member states? What are their health data strategies, if 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 you wish? So uh, uh, this this information will be coming up, and we will be once this is this is available, we will be happy to share it with with everybody.
4: Maybe just one more point. Um, so, um, and part of this is also the information is there somewhere, but it may uh, it may just need to be put out there. Um, for those of you who know me, I'm on, I'm uh, I'm on active on Twitter, and uh, and just last night I saw that the joint action for the eHealth network is right now meeting. I think it's in the Netherlands, no, and it's in Portugal, um, and they're discussing right now the various strategies for the secondary use of health data. Um, I love these people dearly, and 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 I know many of them, but putting out a tweet that they're just now looking at, the, at a comparative analysis of their secondary da- um, healthcare data strategies is kind of daunting if you're not part of it. So I tweeted that I'd love to be a fly on the wall, and I think I've had already some people um, retweet this. That kind of information should probably be um, also um, more, 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 more transparent um, because it will spur more people into action, and it allows also stakeholders to, to have a say in
0: this as well. Yeah, so let me now open the floor for, for questions and comments. If you'd like to ask a question or make a comment, please indicate me. Please briefly introduce yourself. Uh, there's a question from the lady over there. Ah, yeah.
5: Thank you for your presentations. Um, my question is about unlocking the potential of um, telemedicine. And I, I don't know if I'm correct in thinking that telemedicine would be, for example, online consultations with doctors. That would include, um, would telemedicine include that? And why it's, I I saw your, um, one of your slides, that there was only one country indicating telemedicine as uh, advanced. Um, And why do you think there is so much skepticism uh, about uh, online consultation, especially when it comes to mental health and consultations one might have with um, psychologists or psychotherapists. Um, if you could comment on that or reflect on that, I'm curious. Um, thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Kokot. Thank you. Is there another, is there another question? Yeah. Caroline, please.
6: (coughs) Thanks a lot. Uh, As the session was about digitization of health promotion, um, I find a bit in the whole of the discussions and the narratives that as if apps and so on will improve health, if this is the deep magic bullet that will do the trick of preventing diseases. And uh, it can be a very big motivational factor to change behavior if you know know, what may happen or if you have all this data. But we know that changing behaviors to more healthy behaviors is not only motivation, but also very much the capacity and the capability of people to act upon the, the information. You mentioned health literacy but there's also issues like, do you have the monies to buy healthier food or is there infrastructure to be physically active or active travel and so on? And the opportunity. So the opportunity that you have to act and to change your lifestyles. Uh, What is it in your family circumstances or in your homes? I mean, often people and particularly vulnerable people are sort of locked in the day-to-day situation of unemployment or bad air quality and, you know, they would want and would love probably to, ch- to make changes, but they may not have that. So I would plea for indeed looking at digitization and technologies for better information and for how that can be helpful, but always in addition to, you know, the broader context in which people live and work, what their opportunities are, what their capabilities are, because together... We have true comprehensive approaches that may change um, but sometimes in all of these digital conferences and so on I feel it's a bit oh yeah it's new gadgets and trendy and you know it's nice we can make money and, <laughs> and I miss a bit more the the structural approach so I would want to hear what you
0: have to say on that. Thanks very much, just the lady behind you.
7: Hi, Um, my name is Mariana Baggio from the Joint Research Center and I'm a behavioral economist. And uh, today uh, a lot of people have mentioned uh, changing behavior and you've mentioned how the information about your genomic profile actually works at the very beginning, that's up working. And I've seen a lot of potential for the application of behavioral insights. But uh, in a way it's not embedded in your approach or it seemed like uh, it doesn't uh, take, a, 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 not a central role, but a quite an important role. So I can't see if this is something more like an intuition or if it's more like something that you intend to embed formally and structurally into, like for example, uh, all the devices, all the mobile devices. So I've seen a lot of potential, maybe not much structural approach to the behavioral insights. so do you what do you see for the future? Do you see it coming in as more prominent or or not or what do you see for the future in that sense?
0: Thank you very much. and there was the colleague from the commission there and another one at the back. Hello, my name is Federico Bratelese, I
1: work at the European Commission at DigiSante. Uh, Thanks again uh, for the great, very interesting presentation. Um, I have a question for Michael and Stefania. Um, I was wondering during your uh, elaboration of the the topic you were mentioning that uh, the share of people that seek information online via, you know, online fora, like on the internet, it's not a good proxy
5: indicator for the potential of like like health promotion, disease prevention, and you know
1: the the, the effect that digitalization can have on it. Um, I was wondering like why particularly and if you had like a better proxy indicator for it in mind that
0: uh, could potentially be used. Thanks. Thank you. There was a gentleman over there.
3: Um, Bertolt Schilling, Consulus Europe, and I also ask, of course, as a European citizen, um, thanks for the presentation, it was really interesting. And I was also wondering about all the new and exciting changes, how that would impact the um, health professionals, because their role would need to change if uh, a lot of data will be measured on the patient by variables, by ingestibles, how would their role in the future change? And also a second part, the human aspect in treating diseases to have like a personal one-on-one contact is there a risk that this could get lost by not having direct intervention and basically just interacting with apps and other digital means and not um, seeing the practitioners in person. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I think I've give the floor back to the to the to our kind speakers, which received many many different questions on uh, telemedicine, on whether it's a magic bullet or digitalization. It need to be look into the into the broader context of capacities, capabilities, and opportunities, and behavioral insights. Um, and there was a particular question to to Michael on on why doesn't the number of people looking for online is not a good indicator and what else to see and the last question was also I think uh, very well made on what impact it would have digitalization on health professionals uh, and what if just the data is get lost and there is no no follow-up so there are many insightful interesting questions Uh, feel free to pick whatever you want but I would appreciate if all questions was, would be answered by at least one of you. So, um, who would like to start? Yes, maybe the ladies first. If, you, okay. if you, Michael, please. The ladies first, if you can, can suggest.
2: Well, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> okay, so um, I try to address the two issues that have been raised um, from Caroline and the other colleagues from the Gent Research Center. So. Um, I think there are a windows of opportunity to act in a way that people can change their behaviors, uh, being convinced from uh, the omics, I mean, the background, plus the use of mobile health technologies. But uh, the point is that uh, um, a lot of, uh, uh, as I said before, the physicians do not have an understanding, there is a... A very recent survey performed across European public health association members, the majority are physicians, they have not an understanding of what is a polymorphism, a mutation. So keep in mind that genetic counseling, I mean, a genetic as a medical specialty, there are very few doctors across Europe, okay? It's one of the, the specialties for which there are the lowest number of physicians available. So we cannot think that... Uh, geneticists would be available to consult everybody. So this will be in charge in of primary health physician of the specialties. But when the people at 20 years age get this kind of testing, because some days it will be done, all the physicians, maybe other healthcare professionals, not only physicians, maybe also nurses, others, will be in charge to help a person interpret uh, the meaning of that. Anyway, this we don't know yet. Will trigger any changing behavior. So, as long as I know, evidence are still stocked. And so we have, at least I'm an epidemiologist, so I want to rely on evidences, okay? So there are a lot of studies now initiating also because of the release of data from the UK Biobank. So hopefully we have a large, powerful studies because a lot of trials have been mentioned in those reporting that you stop uh, at some point, you lose the motivation, you start smoking again, are bu- based on very few numbers. So they're very underpowered to uh, make final you know, answer to the question. Uh, concerning the issue of... Uh, opportunity. I think also the workplace setting is an important place. I do understand your point that there has to be the infrastructure, the place where people can engage physical activity for free. I mean, it's not only behavior, we know that. But uh, also working at workplace can be a solution to improve behaviors. But again, those who don't work because they have a different kind of problems are left behind also in that. So we really have to struggle thinking about uh, different possible solutions to to, to bring uh, uh, to policymakers. And uh, just also another point I want to touch upon, the, the issue of direct-to-consumer genetic testing, because this is also something that is, it is very relevant in the United States. So people can buy, uh, spending some uh, hundreds or a few thousands euro, depending on the kind of test, a test online, OK? There are a lot of companies in the United States. This is a huge market. Uh, the Friday, um, Black Friday, but it's one of the most sold uh, stuff. So, in the United States, there's a huge pressure from the industry to sell the direct to consumer genetic testing. And the report is something that a normal person cannot understand, as I said, not even a physician. It's a probability to develop whatever chronic disease that also is updated from the industry every year, because you know, data. Uh, accumulate and evidence also change a bit. Uh, in Europe, the legislation is a puzzle. Okay, so in France, they're forbidden, in Italy, they're allowed, whatever, but likely in Europe, uh, a very small, small percentage of people already did the direct to consumer genetic testing. But this is something we should keep in mind because, in, at least in the United States, the Medicare, which assists elderly and disabled people, uh, doubled the expenses of genomic testing in elderly subjects for useless things there was a news uh, I think it was on September the last year uh, it was a fraudulent because also the answers were not even provided to senior people it was completely useless and doctors took money from that so there are some horrible situations where industry do not go in the right direction, while we want to create a win-win strategy with them because there, there are a lot of good things there. I believe, but uh, still, when you have to fight this uh, disinformation, and uh, I mean, it's not it's not that easy then to give uh, a simple overview and answer to a, s- a normal citizen.
0: Thanks very much, Michael.
4: Please. Okay. Um, I think I'm not on purpose going to um, uh, uh, not answer some questions, so um, shout at me. I think the lady regarding telemedicine, um, as far as I'm concerned, or as maybe my industry is concerned, um, the barriers for telemedicine are relatively straightforward. It's money and it's rules. Um, There are still countries uh, in, in Europe or uh, maybe they are changing it that require for reimbursement um, that a doctor sees a patient in person so um, and if a so that is already a barrier um, the second is of course if i don't get uh, get reimbursed for seeing somebody by by skype or whatever um, but if it if the rules require that i as a doctor only get reimbursed if i see that person and per, uh, if i see the patient in person uh, then i will not offer telemedicine services so it's pretty straightforward. Where you see um, uh, these kinds of rules and, and, and reimbursement um, uh, rules relaxed, you will see telemedicine because everybody likes it. Nobody wants to spend time um, you know, in traffic and uh, going to the doctor or uh, going back um, uh, if they have the choice and if, the, if there are uh, alternatives available. And that is perhaps the gentleman asked, what, what, do, what is the future? I think you will see uh, more choice. Um, I think... Um, uh, when I remember my own watching of Starship Enterprises, the various interventions, I think at the beginning there was still Scotty, who was an intermediary, um, the doctor between a computer and uh, and, and uh, whatever Starship Trooper, just um, Star Trek Trooper, just just needed medical care. And I think in the latest uh, Enterprises of Starship Enterprise, um, in the latest editions or so, there was only a computer voice of of, um, of uh, uh, st- talking talking without a person present. And, and and I think uh, what we will see is 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 more choice. Um, doctors being able to focus more on those cases where it is needed but many of us probably if we get the same type of information um, uh, you know um, uh, through a through an internet exchange than through a um, uh, a, and face-to-face interaction we probably prefer the internet exchange look at e-commerce I I do a lot of shopping on Amazon because it's fast and easy and when I want it so I don't have to uh, adhere to doctor's appointments so you will see more choice and you will see more sensible and efficient deployment of resources because we all nobody's talking about replacing doctors we have too few of them nobody will replace nurses we have too few of them if we can relieve if if digital can can uh, can help relieving that pressure on on our healthcare workforce I think then is then we've already made a big contribution Um, I think regarding your your indicators so let's focus on those indicators where a government can actually make a difference because a government makes a huge difference in in the healthcare system so uh in in an anal- in analogy of what i was was talking a, a a government will have difficulties kind of improving the use of online for um, a government will find it difficult to say well i need to how can i do uh, how can i improve this but if a government can actually provide a citizen-based electronic health record that can, where information can be shared, accessed with control by by the person whose data we're talking about, that's already a huge win. So focus on those indicators in digital health um, where a government can actually make a difference. I would love to see more of that and I would like to see more transparency, um, um, particularly from, from the commission, maybe other sanctioned reports. Um, And of course you can also uh, use the use of of health apps or the use of an electronic health record. You will find um, quite similar to today, um, you know, like look at me i'm i'm fortunate i'm relatively healthy i haven't used health services in two or three years i've done a routine checkup or so that's what we want we have this 80 20 system uh, a problem in, in healthcare services the 20% who use a lot of or, uh, who use 80% of the services uh, maybe we should we should only focus there and look at how many people can actually look at can can access apps rather than uh, rather than uh, rather than in person healthcare services um, that can be an indicator, but very happy to, to talk more w- with you about that. Um, uh, I'll think again and uh, shout a question if, if, if you'd like. Uh, maybe I shouldn't hog the microphone.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think many, many or most of the questions have been answered, but I, I, I would like to come back to some of those that were addressed already by Stephanie or, or Michael, I mean, on on, on especially on on the telemedicine question, uh, because I, I I agree. I mean, this is this is an era where um, there is still some work to be done, especially in 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 the member states. And to at another example where we, I mean, when we realize that uh, there there are no rules uh, or or the. Rules are missing uh, in the process. Are, for example, the European reference uh, networks and the virtual consultations that we are uh, promoting um, between. Um uh, health centers and um, and experts who are based in different member states. And uh, we realized that there, there is probably going to be in the long run a problem with, with reimbursement of these services because, I mean, they involve several providers from different member states. And when we try to dig a little bit deeper into the issue, we realized that even within the member states, if services are provided by a, a number of, of healthcare providers, uh, the issue is not fully addressed, and sometimes even just to the fact that uh, they are provided remotely. I mean, we are using for the, the, the European reference networks are using these, these uh, virtual consultations. So using uh, the technology instead of of, of bringing patients physically um, uh, in front of the whole whole panel of of experts. I mean that these these the, the, there are clearly gaps uh, that need to be filled uh, at the level of the of the member states. So. Uh, I think, I think uh, it's a question of, uh, of, of realising uh, what potential uh, these services uh, have to offer uh, of course to the, to, to the patients, to the professionals, but I mean to the healthcare systems as such in terms of, uh, of efficiencies and, um, and then savings and, and, and so on. Uh, there was also a question on um, on the health professionals and their uh, their role uh, in in this whole process of, of digital transformation and and, and uh, the fact that they are faced with uh, new technologies. Um, obviously, I mean, I mean the way how healthcare is is, is provided and, and, and delivered to patients is 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 changing. So also also the training um, and education uh, of, of health personal, professionals need to be to be to be adapted. I mean so so the digital skills are, are um, one of the essential preconditions for successful um, completion of, of 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 the whole digital uh, the digital transformation. So so there will be uh, definitely a need for change in uh, in 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 the curricula for for education of healthcare professionals, but also in the uh, lifelong uh, continuous training uh, of these professionals. So so we are, for example uh in in contact and and, 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 and and i mean discussing these issues with the with the university hospitals uh, uh and so on but uh uh in my personal opinion i mean is 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 indeed that in the long uh run um health professionals will not be replaced by, by by new technologies i mean i mean the, the, the technology i mean uh, we are also receiving these questions in in the context of, of the artificial intelligence is artificial intelligence going to replace uh, doctors I think the answer is is the, the artificial intelligence and and the digital solutions will provide uh, provide important assistance and will complement uh, the services that are currently provided by uh, by the professionals but uh, w- health professionals will always have a, have a role to play but uh, the, the, the whole way how, the, how, they, are, how they are trained uh, and, and prepared for, for, for their profession will need to change. That's that's for sure.
0: So, thank you very very much. Uh, our time has just just passed. I wouldn't summarize our discussion, but I have to say I personally learned a lot. Uh, I find it very, very fascinating how uh, the digitalization and the whole digital transformation of healthcare is actually ongoing and, and the different insights you, <clears throat> you gave from different perspectives was, was very interesting to me. I hope it was also very interesting to, to you who participated in it. Let me thank not just the, the three excellent speakers, but all of you uh, for being here and, and participating in discussion. So. Again, thanks very much and hope to see you at other Bruegel events.